This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Charlie Robinson, the co-author of Controlled Demolition of the American Empire, is standing by, and he'll be here for the full two hours. Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. A quick programming note. This program has been pre-recorded. We are not live, so there is no live stream tonight on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However, the audio from this program will be posted to my YouTube channel in the next couple of days and will return next week with a live broadcast. In Charlie Robinson's latest book, co-authored with Jeff Berwick, titled The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire, Robinson and Berwick outline the possible consequences resulting from a political and economic system in crisis. Robinson uses the analogy of building demolitions to describe what he envisages as the impending collapse of the American empire. In order to take a structure down, support columns are identified, detonators rigged, alarms activated, and finally, plungers are pushed. What we're experiencing right now in the United States is that the end of the American empire is here, he says. It's not even so much a debate about whether or not this system is coming down because the pieces have been put into place to take the whole system down. He suggests there is unlikely to be an all-encompassing conspiratorial hand intentionally guiding the process. Rather, he argues it's the neoliberal economic structure within the system and those responsible for implementing policies that give rise to it that are the key destabilizing factors. Having reached its apex, Robinson argues the system currently has nothing else to do but collapse upon itself. Charlie is the host of the Macro Aggressions podcast on Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and Iconic.com. He's also the president and broker of Alter Luxury, a real estate brokerage and interior design firm, and has almost two decades of experience working in Las Vegas real estate. He's an author and an independent researcher and has had a front row seat to the fraud and corruption in the mortgage industry during his 10-year career in Las Vegas real estate. 
He credits John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, as the final piece of the puzzle that helped him to really see how the American government operates. He's the author of The Octopus of Global Control and co-author, along with Jeff Berwick, of Controlled Demolition of America. Hey, Charlie, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. First of all, because he can't join us today, but I want you to tell us a little bit about the co-author, Jeff Berwick. Who is he? Oh, he's an interesting character. <laughs> they broke the mold when they made Jeff Berwick. He's a Canadian from Edmonton who um, started a company in, in Canada, took it public, and um, had a hundred and I think a hundred and fifty million dollar valuation. And then with the dot com crash, everything tanked. His uh, co partner there had a nervous breakdown. I think Jeff had a bit of a nervous breakdown himself, and he decided he was just going to travel the world and see what was out there. He wound up buying a, a boat and sailing it and crashing his boat in Mexico. And I don't know if he literally washed up on shore. I think he actually did. He wound up staying in Mexico for a while and loved it. And and in Acapulco, mer- uh, met a, a woman from the area. They're married. They've, he's been there for 10 years. He started a company called the Dollar Vigilante, which is a financial services company. And he started talking about concepts of financial freedom Um, And that led to government freedom, and it expanded from there. He was a financial analyst and who wrote the foreword to this book. And during a conversation one one night, uh, Doug said, you know what you are, Jeff? You're an anarchist. And he said, what's an anarchist? And so Doug Casey explained the concept, and Jeff looked into it a little bit more. And sure enough, he discovered, you know, he, he was. And so he embraced that and started to get into that culture as well and eventually started something called Anarcapulco, which is the largest anarchist convention that's held every year in Acapulco, Mexico in February. And it's I've been a speaker there the last couple of years. So is Ron Paul and David Icke and Dr. Cynthia McKinney and Del Bigtree and a variety of, of people. And it's it's that now morphed to become not just about anarchists um, or anarchy or, you know, government intervention, but it's it's turned into something um, bigger than that. It's a three legged stool of of anarchy and cryptocurrency and health and wellness. So they bring in people that will that can talk to you about homeschooling or unschooling your kids and that sort of component to it. There's people that can help you register companies offshore and talk to you about taxes. So he's he's brought in it's it's evolved over the years, but it's turned into this really amazing event that that I had no idea what to expect the first time I went. It was a Friday night and I always tell people this story to kind of paint the picture of what, you know, what the anarchist community is in actuality, as opposed to Molotov cocktails and burning tires and things like that, which, you know, I think most people have that impression. Right, right. I mean, when I think when I think of anarchists, I think of Antifa. I think of Of I think of Marxism. Uh, I think of them as, quite frankly, as uh, an existential threat to Mm -hmm. to Western civilization. Me too. I thought all those things until I got clear on what the term anarchy means. It doesn't mean without rules. It means without rulers. And I think that given the current batch of rulers we have, I think a case could be made that we would be better off without them. So it turned out that I had it all wrong about this community. It was a it's a very inclusive, real smart group of people. I don't know, from early 20s to people in their 70s. They can they they're from all over the world, although 
met a lot of Australians there for sure and Americans. Um, it's an interesting batch of people. And through, um, you know, I'd met Jeff a, a little bit before that. <clears throat> and when I went on his show to uh, promote my first book, The Octopus of Global Control, which, of course, you had me on on your show and also Coast to Coast, which I will forever be grateful and appreciative of you for that. Um, and, and Jeff and I were, were, on, were talking one day. We, we did our interview uh, over Skype and we were done recording, but we were still chatting. And he said something along the lines of, you know, this whole thing's it's all coming down. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, this whole this whole society, this structure that we've built, like the the way we've built this, it, it's a house of cards, which, of course, I acknowledge. I mean, I've written about that. So we said we just kept going with this conversation. And he said, we should we should work on something together. We should write something about this. And I said, Are, OK, uh, let me let me think about it. Let me think about what what I, you know, where I see this going. So. I wound up in Costa Rica. This is the summer of 2018. And I wrote, <clears throat> I wrote out the framework of the book. And my feeling on it was I wanted to make the comparison between the way someone would take down a, a, a building, a physical building, and the way Jeff's statement of this is all coming down would line up. And so I thought that we could, you know, I would examine the way that the technical uh, engineering way that you would that you go about taking down a building and see, and then overlap that onto the, where we are right now. So that's why I wound up with these, these concepts, these, the, the eight different chapters of the book that we'll get into. Um, it just came out of a simple conversation with Jeff about it all coming down. And then it made me think, you know, my octopus book came out of a similar simple conversation with my mother who said, you've got all this information in your head. What are you going to do with it? And it didn't never cross my mind that I had to do anything with it. And same with Jeff. I have this conversation with Jeff just thinking I'm promoting my octopus book and <laughs> he makes a simple statement like it's all coming down and it gets me thinking, well, how would it come down? I mean, let's think about this. And so over the course of two years, we built out this book and we had it ready to go in March of 2020. And we slammed on the brakes when the Corona situation hit. We said, wait a second, we this is too important for us to not incorporate it into the book. Let's pause for a couple of months, see how things play out, and then take a look at the book again. Now with what we've know from the Corona, um, the ongoing Corona panic. So I'm glad we did because I was itching to get the book out in March and and we didn't do it. And I was a little bit frustrated at first. And I am so glad that we waited because what what has transpired in the you know, in 2020 has been a once in a lifetime type of occurrence. And for us to not incorporate that into a, the book would have made it irrelevant instantly. So I'm glad we we waited for a variety of reasons. But uh, it just came out, you know, <laughs> we're talking about the concept of destroy, you know, an empire destroyed. And we're releasing that book at a time when people can envision it. You know, it doesn't take much of, a, of an imagination to extrapolate where we are now and where things could go at the rate of, you know, with the rate of chaos that we're we're seeing. So, you know, Jeff's an interesting guy. I'm really when you write a book with a Canadian ex-Canadian living in Mexico who's running a multi-million dollar company, who's an anarchist and starts anarchist conventions and travels the world to speak. 
you just you get a very unique perspective on the world, a, a perspective I could never have. And so to take his view of of where things are, and he's more objective uh, about the American empire than I am. I'm an American. I've lived in America my whole life. I, I, I don't agree with the government. I don't agree with the way the government is run. But, <clears throat> but I, but you know, I want the best for America, and I, and I'm a little bit. You know, it's I'm on the home team here. Right. But right. As am I. Jeff- I mean, I, I think emotionally, psychologically, philosophically, I may be more American than I am Canadian. My ancestors came from America. I have a huge emotional investment in in the United States. Uh, you know, I, I was up until 2 a.m. election night watching the proceedings and, and I, I'm on the same page as you, I think. I wanted to ask you, though, when we talk about the American empire, in your mind, Jeff's mind, are you comparing, are you putting it on sort of the same level as the Roman Empire, the, uh, the, the Babylonian Empire, or do you see some, some differences? I see some differences. It's sort of a hybrid. It's not quite to that level. Those, those empires had very, you know, very little competition. These days, I feel like in the, the years we've been alive, we've seen a variety of empires. We've seen the British Empire that that had an overt control spread throughout the globe that's now it's pulled back considerably. We had the Soviet Union and the the role that they had. I see it more of more along the lines of a of a better, bigger version of the Soviet Union. In fact, we we draw some comparisons between the two in the way that, you know, when we talk about the destruction of the American empire, we're not necessarily talking about the destruction of America. We're talking about the empire, the, the sphere of influence, the, the thousand military bases around the world, the petrodollar relationship, the world's reserve currency, our undue influence on countries um, all over or around the globe. With, and we compare that sort of to the way the Soviet Union was. The Soviet Union was thriving and everything was was going fine. They started this destabilization campaign and finally knocked it out in, in 91. It's not to say that Russia went away. It's Mother Russia still remains. It's just that it's satellite nations, Czechoslovakia and Belarus and Yugoslavia and all these countries that it had under its control. They lost that. They lost the control of those countries. They pulled back to prioritize uh, the homeland of Russia, much in the way somebody that was hiking Mount Everest that got stuck up there, uh, stuck in a blizzard. And their body starts to prioritize where the blood flow goes. Look, you're going to lose some toes. You're going to lose some fingers. But we're going to keep your brain and your heart and your lungs functioning. We're going to keep the blood there because that's where it needs to be. So we see that aspects of, of the empire will fall away as um, as they did with the Soviet Union. So it's, it, there's a comparison there. But but I will say that that where, where we do draw some parallels between these previous empires is um, – in a chapter that we get into that talks about the Thucydides trap, which is a Greek concept, and talk about the um, how the existing empire feels threatened by the new empire that's rising up to challenge it, and in there um, between those two uh, competing empires, it has happened in sixteen different occasions that this is that this has taken place, and in twelve of the sixteen times it's ended in war. And so, what we're seeing is the rise of China, threatening the existing empire of, of the American empire, and we already start to see some of the similarities where they're demonizing one another, and we're talking that they're ramping up tensions and things like that. So we we're we're pointing out those those previous empires to show 
that nobody is exempt from this. You know, they follow very specific cycles. And when you take a look at where where we fall on that cycle, uh, we're at the last stage before everything collapses. I mean, we see some of this, the hallmark characteristics of that, like, a, you know, the bread and circuses and the, you know, it debasing the currencies and, and government, you know, actions that are inconsistent, incongruent with the way the, the pub, public right. wants them well, to behave. You do in the book, you in the first chapter, really, you talk about the symptoms of a dying empire. Can we sort of go down that rabbit hole? Yeah, we talk about things like um, coin clipping, which is something I had, I had never really even uh didn't know much about in the, in like the Roman empires, they were, you know, they, they would have their, their gold and silver coins and they had value, but they would clip little triangular, uh, pie slate, pie shaped, uh, spots off of the edges of the coins and then collect all that up, melt it down and try and turn it into a new coin. So it was like, before they had the Federal Reserve, they they were still looking at ways to debase their currency. You know, when when you let governments get in, involved in things like that. So we 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 talked about uh, you know we we definitely talked about that um, uh, as a as a comparison. Not not the biggest comparison, of course, but but um, but it is something that that sounds familiar. I mean, yeah, they 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 scapegoat their their kingdoms collapse. They use, you know, they blame it on natural disasters and diseases and all these other things. They never take responsibility for their own, their own, uh, um, shortcomings and things like that. So we just, you know, one of the hallmark aspects of a, of a dying empire is that the vast majority of the people that are living inside that dying empire are so blinded that they can't see that it's happening. You know, they they they're the last to know that it's it's coming their way. And and then of course in retrospect, it's obvious. And everyone's like, well, of course this was coming down. How did you not see the signs? I mean, they were it, it, they were everywhere. But we sort of have that same feeling right now too. In 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 America, we're sort of well, that happens over there. Oh, you know, with regard to elections. Oh, well, those election meddling. That's banana republics that have that you know and it's like no 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 we <laughs> we have some of the same trademarks of that as well so we're 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 very good at, at, at trying to you know lie to ourselves or pretend that that this is somehow a problem with well that happened in those empires but it wouldn't happen in our empire but we all say the same things and and, and in the end it's inevitable because your behavior it it, uh, it the negative behavior by the governments and uh, in their policies it just accelerate the the movement towards a collapse so um and then everybody just always sound, you know, acts surprised and points the fingers at one another. Um, but it's it's crystal clear in, in retrospect of what is coming. And 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 like they said, give them bread and circuses, and they will never revolt. And and if America isn't the perfect encapsulation of bread and circuses, I really don't know what is. You also talk about aggression, and I suppose you could go back to the Spanish American War, but really. I would say after World War One and the presidency of Woodrow Wilson, we really saw a ramping up of interventionist foreign policy, which was kind of a progressive idea that America needs to export 
its values. This isn't about building empire. This is about spreading our values to the developing world and so forth. But America, is, it's always been, there's been this tension, really, don't you think, between not isolationism necessarily, but more towards a fortress America, non-intervention, and then the forces of an aggressive military and, and foreign policy. So there's there's this kind of I don't know, duality to America. Part of it wants to be an empire and part of it is very adverse to that idea. Yeah, and and the people that want Fortress America, uh, I can understand, I can see their point for sure. It is, before we start imposing our culture and our will on these other nations, let's make sure that we have uh, our own house in order. Let's make sure that we're we're not having the same problems that we're, uh, you know, uh, projecting onto these other con- countries. I mean, I think a good point can be made that you know, for the the people that are 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 of the belief that we should not be empire building around the world. Well, you know, if we just took that money that is going into the military, the you know, roughly a trillion dollars a year, and we allocated that differently at home and fixed the roads and the infrastructure and maybe changed the education system and upgraded our, you know, our we, we did a whole you know chapter on the infrastructure problems that we have in America, you know, I think that there's a case, I think that's a a logical and reasonable argument that, that this money can be spent, um, better on, on, on different components of the American economy. Uh, but, but the problem is the, first of all, infrastructure rebuilding projects won't get you reelected. They're not very glamorous. They're necessary, but they don't, you know, they don't get you votes. And, and, and there's no, there's more lobbyists for the military and the, you know, in that industry working on behalf of them, you know, in, in Washington, DC, then there are people that are trying to push, Hey, let's take some of that money and use it to, um, update the sewer system under New York city. That's a hundred years old or something like that. So you, it's it's about unfortunately politics are, gets involved in this and the decisions don't get made that are the most logical they get made because they have the most influence behind them so um, you know the lobbyists play a role in this and so a lot of people get frustrated with our money you know our tax dollars are being spent to export war to all of these other countries and it's like you know America has used these two terms. Uh, spreading democracy and humanitarian interventions, you know, and it's just, they're so backwards because you realize that the spreading democracy part typically comes from, uh, 35,000 feet and, you know, as they're dropping bombs on, on villages and things like that, that's no way to spread democracy. Exactly. And, and, and and expecting that amongst the rubble, some, a Thomas Jefferson will emerge from the desert sand and all of a sudden create this democratic utopia where there has been absolutely no tradition uh, for for democracy. We'll take a quick time out, Charlie, come back and continue to delve further. The book is Control Demolition of the American Empire. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. We're back with Charlie Robinson, co-author of Control Demolition of the American Empire, from the founding of the Federal Reserve to 9-11 
to the coronavirus panic. Let me go back to what we were discussing before the break, the uh, this tension between uh, those in America that want empire and those that want more of a, a, an isolationist approach. It's been suggested by many researchers and authors that the the empire builders, you could sort of roll them into a, a category, and it's become a very popular term, I would say, since uh, uh, the, the election of Donald Trump, and that is the deep state. How do you see those that have been pushing for uh, empire in America? Do, do, would you consider th- those people to belong to the deep state? I would consider many of them to be part of the deep state. I would... I, at those the empire builders, I, I put them in the David Rockefeller category of internationalist. You know, he talked about his family being internationalist. There, it's more of a, it's more of a looking at the world and saying we want it all, as opposed to saying we want just the United States. So the empire building it benefits a lot of industries. You've got uh, the military industrial complex, of course. Um, the banks always want war. They profit on on both sides, so it's this push towards, um, you know, it, it's that that group of Rockefellers, Kissingers, and um, Brzezinski's, and that that group. They're deep state. They're they're part of the American, you know, they they have roles inside the American government. But I feel that they they see their role is not. They might be in America working on behalf of America, but they see a much bigger picture, and they're they're convinced that the the best way to to bring about the right way to govern is to have the whole world under their control, and then they'll they'll uh, you know then then everything will work just fine. Part of the problem with that, of course, is that there's a vast number of people that will never go along with something like that. They don't want that, and. Unfortunately, the, the people in positions of power have have become powerful because they they are attracted to this uh, they're attracted to this world they're they're psychotic psychopathic that uh, that are given everything that they need when they go get into politics like that they're unbelievable amounts of power and influence money access to the things that they want access to um, you know. If you're, hey, if you, if you're a power, if you want to get, um, you know, if you're a psychopath and you want power and control, go to Washington, D.C. That's where you got it. That's so it, unfortunately, it's a magnet for some of the worst people in the world. And then, of course, they get together and come up with these ideas about how we can take this, uh, this current, this, this America that we're living in now and we can export uh, our version of it into the, around the world. We, we talk about project for a new American century and the way they view the world, which is constant conflict, multiple theaters of war happening all at once and using the power of the American military to club into submission. Any countries that don't get on board with our, our project don't allow us to buy their oil at a reasonable price or don't, you know, allow us to put military bases on their countries or vote our way in a UN resolution. So it says it's this, because of the types of people it attracts, um, it's not hard to to extrapolate out where this is going. And you'll you'll have psychotic if when you get enough psychotic people together that really are are very dangerous. It's not surprising when their view of the world um, mimics that. They're they're essentially globalists. Uh, globalists. Uh, yeah. uh, David Rockefeller used the term internationalist, but they're globalists. And so we're and this is the way I see 
what, what's playing out right now is that we are engaged in this titanic struggle between globalists or internationalists uh, and versus those who who advocate for the nation state so the seeds for the american empire uh, was it always the plan that america from the founding would be an empire or was it was this idea this noble ideal hijacked somewhere along the way and if so when i think it was hijacked i think that the concept of america early on was came from a place of uh you know we we want to break away from england we want to have our own sort of society we have a different view of the world and and, and of course like any anything anything like this runs the risk of of getting hijacked when you've got a good thing going other people are drawn to it well let's see where we can take this from now but there there certainly was a push i think after world war 2 really you had a decimated europe that nobody was taking the lead there america parachuted into the tail end of that war didn't get itself hurt as badly as the other nations from a uh, you know from a casualty standpoint and a financial uh, standpoint obviously no very little destruction inside america so after that we had this unique opportunity to lead the world and we had the support and love of of many people around the world but it 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 got hijacked. I think I think after Kennedy, I think we were maybe we we had consolidated power and we were really starting to uh, become one of the main players on the world stage. And then after the Kennedy assassination, things took a turn. We started to see meddling in foreign affairs uh, at a level that we hadn't seen before. We're starting to see our exploration of of conflicts all over the world. And we started to disguise things. And of course, <laughs> things like changing the name from the Department of War to the Department of Fence. Uh, so we started to monkey around with the terminology a little bit. We had the um, world's reserve currency backing us. So things really were headed in the right direction, but it got hijacked, I think, around the Kennedy assassination, and we made a, a hard right turn into where we are right now. So talk to me then about the uh, the Federal Reserve yeah. and uh, how it works with the IRS. So in 1913, the Federal Reserve was created uh, which is a private central bank used to it was it's funny I just had a conversation with Ed Griffin about this not too long ago he wrote a book called the creature from Jekyll Island in 1910 all of these bankers secretly went down to Jekyll Island Georgia had a conference where they talked about the creation of a private central bank and um, this was kept totally under wraps they wound up doing what what you do when you're rich bankers you get yourself a couple politicians in your pocket and they made it so that uh, they put this forward and it passed in 1913 and it was the creation of the Federal Reserve. At the same time they did that, they created the Internal Revenue Service. So the the play works like this. Um, the Federal Reserve is going to print the money and, and loan it to the American government at interest. So when the American government is done for the year, they're going to owe that money back plus interest. Well, the interest part, the the where they get that interest money the government doesn't want to pay for that. They'd rather it come from somebody else. So they created the IRS as the collection agency so that the IRS collects the money from the people and uses that money to pay the interest 
to the bankers on the money that was created from the Federal Reserve and loaned to the government. So the government borrows the money, but we pay the interest on it. It's a pretty good setup if you think about it. I mean, it's it's you create the collection arm at the same time and then sick them on on the people and make sure that uh, the people pay for it all. So that's where that's that's how it started, you know, over 100 years uh, ago. And and one of the things that the Federal Reserve did is they they're constantly inflating the money supply. And by doing that, it devalues the the value of the dollar. So we that's why we hear stories of, well, when my grandparents were young, they could get a loaf of bread for a nickel. That's the reason. Because at, over time, with the inflation of the money supply, it's just lowered the value. Basic economics, nothing too complicated there. Right. It's the hidden tax, inflation. Yeah. And it's great for politicians, too, because they have all of their, their pet projects, you know, pork barrel politics. Uh, they want to fund... Uh, little projects back in their constituency. And uh, if they can print money, they don't have to raise taxes. Uh, that doesn't stop them from raising taxes for other reasons, but uh, they can have it both ways. Uh, they can uh, they can uh, fund all their pet projects and, and then not be politically unpopular by, uh, by raising taxes. Charlie, we'll take another time out, come back and uh, talk some more. Controlled demolition of the American Empire. More of my more of my conversation with Charlie Robinson. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down, and it lands on the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Charlie Robinson stays with us for the full two hours, and the book is Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. The idea that it's controlled, a controlled demolition, obviously parallels with 9-11, which we'll, we'll get into, no doubt. Why would the, the owners of the system, if you will, the deep state, whatever we want to call them, the oligarchs, why would they want to bring the, the house of cards down? It's like it's killing the, uh, the proverbial golden goose, isn't it? Well, it's, it is, but it's the last remaining obstacle to the world, one world government. You see, they, they can't have existing superpowers in play that'll ruin their, their operation of controlling the world. So we watched the destabilization of the Soviet Union three decades ago, much in similar, similar fashion, dragged them into an unwinnable war in Afghanistan for 10 years, in their case, or 20 years for us, have their currency devalued, watch the, Corruption inside the government uh, run rampant. The media control, you know, constant lies through through propaganda, and we see these same sorts of things being exported to us these days, and we're we're living through it. So it's important for this last remaining superpower to be uh, taken out, not necessarily exterminated, but just defanged enough so that they don't stand in the way of the globalist goal of controlling the whole world. They're going to need America on some levels, but they don't want them as powerful as they are right now. So we see the hollowing out, you know, and this is a, a, a process that takes decades. You know, we, the, this is part why we talk about things like concept of pre-weakening the building. We're like, well, what does that mean? Well, when you're t talking about pre-weakening a real building, you're going through and cutting all the support columns not enough that, it'll, that the building will fall down, but just enough that you don't have to use as much explosives when it comes time to take the thing down. So you're you're cutting these support beams and things like that. Well, the same thing has happened inside 
the American empire as well. Talk about globalization and things like NAFTA and gutting the industrial capacity of the United States. It might not, it might not destroy it overnight, but give it three decades or four decades, like where we are these days. And we see that we've outsourced all of our manufacturing to foreign countries. And that's had a, a tremendous effect on us. Things like, you know, policies like NAFTA and GATT and things like that. These are, these were devastating to America, but sold to us as a way like, well, listen, it's globalization. Isn't this great? You're going to get your TV for half the price from China. That is great, but there is a price to be paid. So, um, it's important for them to, you know, you, you got to take the building down, but they're going, they have big plans for America. They have plans to rebuild it in their image after it's all done. So, um, we, 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 we just have our eyes open for some of the, you know, the, the problems that have been happening for 30 or 40 years, they weren't actually accidental. They were like a, lighting a very long fuse on this and then acting surprised when it blew up things, you know, four decades later. Well, you talk about weakening the structure, the, the foundation, if you will. And a, a lot of that has to do with making a, a population very compliant and servile. So talk to me about the process of dumbing down America. Yeah, it's a it's a process that has been happening in a variety of ways. We've got the literal dumbing down through fluoridation of the water, which lowers IQ and fluoride. Sodium fluoride is a neurotoxin. It's it's, it's added uh, to the water supply. There's a whole story on how that came to be, but it, it has devastating effects on us. We have real problems with vaccines and, and how they have destroyed um the health of of people it's a polarizing and difficult topic uh, to get onto but but that's been a part of it we have the education system we've watched it go you know go from one of the best education systems in the world down to you know 37th or, or so in the on the rankings we have the introduction of common core which can I mean, only be described as the intentional dumbing down of, of school children, the, the, the way they conduct math, uh, the way they instruct um, for English and math is makes no sense. In fact, Dr. James Milgram, who was the only PhD mathematician on the Common Core, uh, when he when they were developing the, the curriculum for it, he walked away from the project, said, I don't want anything to do with this, and now spends his days traveling the country on his own dime to give lectures against Common Core. So they've dumbed down the school children. They've got us with television. They've they've poisoned us with GMO foods. Our, our air isn't fit to breathe. They're spraying things in our atmosphere. John Brennan admitted so much in the, you know, in the, in a Senate panel. So they're getting us from every angle and we're getting to the point now where we've outsourced our critical thinking to other people, people in the media, people in the government, because thinking's hard. And then we act surprised when we're unable to assess the situation. Well, of course we we're, we're unable. We, we have very strong factors working against us. A lot of people that have a vested interest in keeping us all sort of dumbed down and dependent on government and sort of in this big, you know, a big group, big fog, and then very few people above it can see, you know, with high IQs, they can see the whole plan. They can see how it's all laid out and developing. So it's, it's devious, you know, and it's undeniable. Just go to Walmart, walk around. You tell me if, if, the, if the dumbing down <laughs> game has been, has been running to perfection. I mean, it's very, it's, I joke about it, you know, I kind of have to laugh about it and, and, and everything, but, but it's a serious problem. And, and we have been 
we've been taught to not believe our eyes and it's uh we all share a responsibility all right we'll take another quick time out back with more of my conversation with charlie robinson right here on the conspiracy show my name is richard serrett stay with us if you're sure your phone isn't tapped call now 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740 uh, Charlie, we were talking about the dumbing down of America and also part of the the, the weakening of the uh, the support beams in order, you know, for there to be a controlled demolition of the empire is to make people weak, chronically sick if you will. And you mentioned vaccines and so forth. But there is also something very ominous. This came out in 2015. There was a a, a periodical, a magazine, I saw this online, that was advocating for a rather aggressive depopulation program in the United States. It talked about bringing the the population down from a current uh, roughly 325 million to 65 million uh, souls by the year 2025. Some people have argued that that's, that was a hoax. It's not real. What, what did you find out? Well, that's Deagle. Yeah. We, we, we mentioned them in the book and, and Deagle's a company that does, um, forecasting for the military industrial complex. They try to figure out, Hey, based on what we're seeing here and population growths and shifts and, you know, you're going to need X number of tanks and this many bullets and this many planes and things like that. Yeah, their their population uh, projections for the year 2025 were staggering. And it was all Western countries. It was we were talking about reductions in population by, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 percent in some cases. It was, you know, and you look at that and you go, do they know something we don't know? <laughs> I mean, is this a, is this a hoax? Uh, we didn't find any indication of it being a hoax, but, w- and, and you don't need to go simply off of, of what Deagle has put forward to have questions about the depopulation agenda. Now, if you mention the depopulation agenda to some Somebody just a casual observer of this, they will tell you, get out of here with that nonsense. I mean, you're this is crazy talk. I mean, you sound like a conspiracy theorist with all this. Get your tinfoil. All those things that that they reflexively throw up when you talk about a depopulation agenda. But look, it is not my words. I'm not saying that they're planning this. They are saying that they're planning this. You can read their books. They lay it all out. They're very upfront about their plans for depopulation. And it's an interesting, you know, it's a it's a horrifying way of looking at humanity. But but you have to the problem is we're all at a severe disadvantage because all of us decent, normal, nice human beings, it, we our brains don't go there. We don't we don't consider things like that. So we also project that we say, well, because I would never do that. They would never do that. Well, I, you know, I wouldn't be so sure about that. When you're talking about psychopathic people that are finding themselves in positions of power, they think differently from us. They, that one of the things that they are missing is the, is empathy. And when you have no empathy, you are freed up to cross lines that the rest of us would never think of crossing. And when you come from these extraordinarily wealthy and fa- uh, powerful families, they, div- you know, it's a, it's a bit of an echo chamber and they, the way they view humanity is 
all of these people are taking up space on my planet. And it would be so much better if they weren't all here, especially when you start thinking like the way governments think or the way that they're talking about managing people. It's like, well, we, we could do this, this management, uh, program so much better if it wasn't for all these people, you know? So if we could just get rid of all these people, then things would run much smoother. And, but that's always been a pipe dream until now. And you get guys like Zbigniew Brzezinski talking about how it used to be easier to control a million people than it is to kill a million people. But now it's easier to, to kill a million people than to control them. So, so where are we going with that? You know, they, the rise of robots, the rise of artificial intelligence, the rise of, you know, we, now we have to discuss a universal basic income. Well, why are we doing that? Well, because these, these machines are going to take over your job. Oh, okay. Well, we'll pay you money not to work and here's your universal basic income. But is it, but can we not extrapolate what the next step is there? It'll, the next step will be, well, since you're not doing anything, why don't you get off this planet too while you're at it? So, so th- it sounds crazy. I acknowledge that. Whenever you talk about depopulation, it takes you to a very strange place. But to, for for people that are instantly dismissive, I would suggest look into this. This is there's a lot of evidence that they're planning this, that they're putting their their plans uh, in, in place. They talk about it. They certainly do write about it. They're not afraid to talk about it publicly. So so it's not so much that I'm saying or Jeff and I are saying that this is a depopulation plan. It's that they're telling us that there is a depopulation plan. We're simply acknowledging it and writing about it. So, so it, it, but you have to, your brain has to go to a place where it doesn't normally go in order to think like them. And it's a dark place, of course. Right. Well, we're all wired for normal biasy. When the roof is caving in, we think, well, no, that's just, you know, there's some mice up in the attic. It's, there's nothing going on here. But this whole sort of Malthusian philosophy has really been well, it's been echoed, you know, in the in the Georgia Guidestones, and I think even uh, the Council on Foreign Relations Quarterly uh, Foreign Affairs also talked about the need for a depopulation, and and it's also been incorporated into the whole environmental movement, the whole green movement. The World Wildlife Fund, one of the founders, uh, Prince Philip, was once asked if he could be reincarnated, what would he like to come back as? And he said, a deadly human virus. This idea that, and you see it now being taught in the schools, that humans are basically a cancer on this planet, we're a virus. It's a real human-hating movement. So this whole depopulation agenda has really been I think welcomed in large measure by the younger generation. They don't know what they're walking into. They th- they they have bought the they've bought the lie. They've in it in it starts in in schools. I did in in my octopus book. I talk about a, a professor named Eric Pianca at um, the University of Texas who's teaching evolutionary studies. He's talking about my favorite virus. My favorite is airborne Ebola because it kills nine out of 10 people. I mean, he says it's great for everyone that survives. They ha- they get to bury nine. And it's like, well, hang on a second. This guy has access to your kids. This guy is a professor at the University of Texas. He, this guy didn't just get drunk at a bar and blab this out to somebody. I mean, he's he's talking about this to his students. He's writing books about it. So there is a push for it. There's a push to normalize it and to get us to to be self-hating about who we are and what if we can't, you know, look at our carbon emissions, our carbon footprints and all of that. 
I mean, we you just have to dig into the the Club of Rome, 1971, wrote a paper called The Limits of Growth. They talk about this. They talk about how they plan to invent the concept of global warming and use that as the as a tool to create a carbon tax that would been, then be used to fund their one world government. Now, when you say that to somebody who's holding a Greenpeace sign, they want to stab you, of course. But it's like, well, listen, I'm not saying this. They're saying it. Read their books. Read their information. And who started the Club of Rome? David Rockefeller and Dr. Alexander King. David Rockefeller, the guy who started the United Nations, is also talking about how they're creating the concept of global warming and that they will use that, be it real, quote, or imagined <laughs> as the pretext to shape human behavior and change society. So it's a, you know, these people are very dangerous, but you have got to give them credit. For taking a very long-term approach to what they want to do to this world, they don't have a problem if it takes multiple generations as long as they get where they're where they want to go in the end. So you see things that you would never expect, like like the head of the Sierra Club, you know, the Sierra Club that protects trees and everything, talking about how depopulation is the best method and how exactly. he wishes that there were less people, that he right. wishes he could wipe out the people. It's a, it's an insane mentality, but it's it's not limited to to uh, I mean, it, it it's pervasive in in the highest ranks of government. Absolutely. They don't have to kill us. They're, they're, they've convinced us all to take a giant suicide pill. Yeah. Uh, young people today. I don't want to have a family. I don't want to bring children up in this world. Humans are a cancer. We need to depopulate. No more children. Don't have babies. Uh, we'll uh, pick up on this on the other side. Charlie Robinson stays with us into the next hour. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, AM 740, 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio in Toronto. Hi there to each of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey, you streaming us on ZoomerRadio.ca and on the Zoomer Radio app. Hi to those streaming us on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Charlie Robinson, the co-author of Controlled Demolition of the American Empire, stays with us this hour. Now, before we get back to Charlie, just a reminder that if you'd like to support the work we do here at Strange Planet and The Conspiracy Show, you might consider becoming an official donor. Just go to patreon.com slash strangeplanet, patreon.com slash strangeplanet. Any monthly amount is greatly appreciated, but there are several donor tiers to choose from. Patreon.com slash strangeplanet. Also, please take a moment and go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, and that's your portal 
to all of my various projects. This radio show, of course, The Conspiracy Show. My podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, which drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The YouTube channel. My Strange Planet online store. The Strange Planet full script dispensary. There's even an events and appearances page. While you're there, you can also subscribe to my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. It's all right there at strangeplanet.ca. Strangeplanet.ca. Now back to my conversation with Charlie Robinson, co-author of Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. So, Charlie, let me get your thoughts on the uh, the recent U.S. election. As this interview is airing, we we probably will not have a uh, a clear winner declared. I suspect we're probably looking at uh, perhaps weeks of uh, court challenges. Uh, there are demands right now for uh, recounts in certain states and so forth. Uh, but your thoughts? Well, not surprising, of course. Um, it it seemed that they were you know, pre-programming us for this over the last couple of weeks. The discussion was that, well, and you know, we're probably not going to get this settled. I'll tell you what I was glad. I was glad that I didn't see the, the violence that they projected. Um, that's a good thing. Of course, I think that would have was slated to come should there be a, a decisive winner one way or the other, but, but where you keep it sort of in limbo, Hey, maybe we could just do this without a president. How about that? How about that? Maybe, maybe come January 1st, they just inaugurate nobody. I'm not a fan of, of the, the current situation that we have. We're in this beautiful, amazing country. We have 300 plus million people here. And the best that we can do is come up with these two. I mean, I'm not a fan of either one of these, either sides, the red team or the blue team. I, I don't, I'm not on either one of their, their teams. Um, and some might say, well, pick a side. Well, my side is I'm, I'm, I'm objective. I'm, I'm sitting in the stands throwing rocks at both sides because I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fan of this process, but I, um, you know, I, I don't know that, um, I, I don't know that this was going to ever play out any way other than with just a disputed election, you know, with people suing and vote counts and everything. It didn't seem like. I mean, this seemed like an inevitability, but I remember back in 2000 with that election, uh, that seemed like a surprise to me. It never crossed my mind that there wouldn't be a, a president announced that night. And now it seems that uh, we've all sort of come to expect it. Well, with this current election, it's not going to get settled. Let's not plan for it. Nobody, you know, don't throw the big victory uh, party. Don't plan the victory party that night. So it's an interesting way. Is this going to be the way it always is? You know, I mean, are we are we going to have to dip our thumbs in blue ink? You know, the way they do it in Yemen or Afghanistan when they have an election there. I mean, maybe maybe going low tech is the way to do it these days. So so we'll see. I I, I expect there to be you know accusations of. Uh, fraud on both sides. And I think there probably will be fraud on both sides. I mean, this is, this is, uh, it's important to a lot of people who becomes the president. So important, in fact, that they're willing to overlook certain laws. And then again, let's not forget that, that we are entrusting some of the worst people in the world to be in charge of the government. So is it any surprise that we get the, uh, you know, the, the possibility of some sort of election interference or, 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 manipulation. I would say that that would be a given, given, you know, with the current group of people in charge. So, so I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm cautiously optimistic that things will get sorted out. But sort of what does that even mean when it gets sorted out? All right, fine. We picked the president of the United States. This person is still not in charge of the, of the country in, in, in the sense that most people think. I mean, there's there are layers above the president. So so this is a figurehead. It's part of our it's part of our culture. It's part of our society and our and part of our government. This is how we've we've laid it out. But I think it's important for people to understand that there is a government beyond our the existing government. There is a government in the shadows. There are people that have um, big plans for for this country and they don't care who wins. You know, Goldman Sachs, they would, you know, they'd say, well, Goldman Sachs is candidate one. They gave money to to this candidate and they won. They give money to both candidates. Why would you, you know, if, if the only goal is to have the the winning, you know, to be on the winning side and you've got all the money in the world, you finance both both parties. Well, oh, Goldman Sachs is the party of the Republicans that, you know, who who gave more money to Obama than anybody? Goldman Sachs. So they play both sides of this. If you're if you're really interested in having having influence in Washington D.C., um, you wouldn't leave it to chance. You wouldn't leave it to betting on one side versus the other. You fund both both sides. That way, you're guaranteed that you win. I would make the argument that in large measure, the election of Donald Trump in 2016 was an appeal or an attempt to reestablish the the dominance of the nation state over the forces of globalism. So f- when you look at, I mean, Trump is all about, you know, make America great again, but uh, America first, this idea of America first didn't start with Trump. It does speak to isolationism, that anti-internationalism. And when you look at the forces that are posing Trump every day, hammering him 24 hours a day, seven days a week with negative news stories, we have big tech and, and Silicon Valley opposing Trump. We have Wall Street opposing Trump. We have the mainstream media opposing Trump. Don't you see him as flawed as he is and all his, you know, his, his tweets aside and his personality aside? When you look at the policies, build a wall, bring industry home, disentanglement, foreign disentanglement, getting us out of these constant never ending wars. Don't you see Trump at least last best hope to preserve the nation state and to resist these forces of empire? I found found myself agreeing with those concepts for sure. Absolutely. And I liked there's there's things about Trump that I that I really like. There look, there's things about him I I don't like either. I I was never a fan of his I, pre-politics, you know, just the, the personality type where everything's great. I'm the best. This is the best. My hotels are the best. You know, I could do without all that, but it didn't really bother me all that much. I just, that's not somebody that I would, would want to hang out with. But in terms of his direction, the America first concept, very much in favor of that. And I think that resonated with a lot of people because the people that live in the United States have eyeballs and they see a ton of inefficiencies and a whole lot of problems in this country. And before we are in such a huge hurry to take desperately needed funds and give them to other countries for foreign aid or use them for our military or spend all of this money to build Afghani schools and things like that, you know, a case, a very strong case can be made for, hey, this is our money. We need this here. It's not like we have all of our problems buttoned up here and now we can go focus on the rest of the world. Like there is a legitimate need for this, for us to be America first. Now get our problems sorted out, 
fix us up. And then if we choose to conquer the world or export our version of, of America onto the world, then let's do that. But, but right now, all we're doing is we're saying, we're yelling at the, at, at the world, Hey, look at how great we are here in America. And then we look at America and our homeless population has exploded. Our schools have never been worse. Um, our medical system, our, our the United States healthcare system is the third leading cause of death for Americans. Our infrastructure is a disaster. I mean, we've got a lot of problems here at home. So it's not, it's not being, um, it's self-preservation in a sense. It's looking at the, at the problems that we have in America and the world and saying, okay, there's only so much we can do. There's only so much money to go around. Let's prioritize. And I think a lot of people liked the way Trump talked about how he would prioritize the things that he would do making, you know, making America great again, whatever that means. Now, I know that triggers a bunch of people uh, on the left, but think about that. Just the words making America great again. That is a great, that is a, a concept that I would think most Americans could get on board with. Take Trump out of the equation. Just the idea of trying to focus on America. Now, some people say, well, that makes you isolationist. Fine. Call us what you will. But we have problems here at home that need to get sorted out before we start worrying about other people's. I mean, we cannot be the world's policemen. First of all, they didn't ask us to be. But but second of all, we, we have problems here at home <laughs> that are that need to be addressed first and foremost. And then um, maybe we move on to these uh, external uh, fantasies that we have or, or, or these desires that we have about spreading democracy or, or creating, you know, um, you know, exporting our culture and things like that. That great. But, but let's just take, let's make sure we take care of the, the pressing issues first, because then we're in a much better situation, um, moving forward. And of course, then we're also not hypocritical when we go out and start talking about how great America is, because some, a lot of people on the outside look at America and they don't, you know, they see us for what we really are. We we're blinded. We have myopia here in the, inside the United States. We think that, you know, if it's not happening here, it's not happening. And that's a very, you know, no, it's not maybe the best uh, uh, mentality. We've got we've got some issues that need to get sorted out here first, and I would prefer that we we focused there. Not to say that we we ignore the rest of the world, of course, but but just the priority. So so the globalist mentality of let's let's just focus on conquering the world. Well, that that's what you would do if you had no intention of helping America. If you were if you're you're plan was to was to rule the world and enslave everybody your priority would not be to fix america because you need america destroyed so there's two different very different ways of looking at 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 how we should be running our country or our society and i am i lean more towards the side of let's fix you know let's let's focus on our own problems let's fix our our own house before we start criticizing other people but uh but that is not the way that a lot of the globalists think. They they see they see uh, the rest of the world as the priority, and of course, I disagree with that. How is mass migration, immigration policy, being used to dismantle the American empire? I mean, we see because we're in a like in a we just had an election, um, or we're in the middle of an election. I guess it's who knows how long that'll go on. It's a really good time to take a look at something like that. We see how the policies of allowing 
mass migrations into some of the southern border states, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. We see that as like um, the Democrats have always said, let's allow all these people in. Let's let's put on our we're compassionate hat and say, we're so compassionate. Let's let everybody in. Let's give them all the, everything that they want. Hey, but when it comes to election time, just remember who gave you all these things, you know, wink, wink, and we'll get it to swing that way. Boy, that's a, that's a dangerous way to pander for votes. In my opinion. Um, I think that it, it has been, it's been politicized for sure. I'm look, I'm all in favor of immigration. I mean, that, how did America become America through immigration? But there has to be some sort of, there has to be a line, you know, there, there has to be a, a line in the sand. There also has to be a line that you get in, in order to, you know, make the process work. You can't just allow everybody to come in. When you do that, it has repercussions that are hard to quantify, like what it does to the shape of your society that you, we, as an example, we've seen this in Europe lately, the bombing of Libya and then the migrant caravan, the crisis of, of Libyans and, and North Africans leaving and flooding into Europe. And what did that do? Well, it messed up the social cohesion of some of those countries. Germany had gigantic problems with it. The UK has problems with it. They're allowing people in. So the, the government is saying, come on in. Let's be nice and compassionate. How dare you question us? We're trying to save these people. And you've got the other people saying, no, no offense to those people, but we're just struggling ourselves here. Like we don't need a new influx of people that aren't willing to assimilate or don't have our, our shared values or whatever, you know, whatever the, 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 the problems are, the perceived problems are with this, this incoming horde of, of people. It's, I can see it from both ways, but, but, but from the globalist perspective, they see it as a great way to dilute the society. You take a strong nationalistic country like Germany and you inf infuse uh, a, a long, uh, you know, a, a very serious population of migrant Muslims that are in, in a caravan, rightfully so, by the way, leaving a destroyed country and looking for safety. And you you corral them all into your country. And then problems spring up and it's like, oh, we couldn't have envisioned this. Well, of course you could envision this. What did you think was going to happen? And some of that is is deliberate, I would I would suggest. But guys like Soros and have been very instrumental in in funding migrant caravans and and, and trying to do because it, it works as a destabilization tactic as well. So uh, it it's a tough it's a tough uh, topic because if you're living in Libya or you're living in Guatemala and there's death squads roaming it, how can you blame anybody for wanting to get out of that situation? But then you go back and you look, well, what's causing that situation? And most of the time it's us, <laughs> it's or it's our policies or or a combination of, you know, the United States with NATO conducting these bombing missions that destroy a country like Libya and then, uh, you know, millions of people leave there. We can't act surprised by that. And then we blame them for going to some other country and destabilizing that country. It's like, well, let's get to the core of this. They wouldn't have left. They weren't leaving Libya before we started bombing them. So it's it's not accidental. And, and it creates this um, it creates this uh, method where you where you destabilize a strong country by injecting people that aren't from there 
and that that have told you in advance we don't plan to assimilate we're not looking to become germans we're looking to remain ourselves but just live in a foreign country and and then we act surprised when it all goes wrong well of course it's going to go wrong and it was by design the idea of limiting immigration and its effect on on wages for example there was a a, a time when that was you know bernie sanders e- even not this time around but but previously talked about the need to restrict immigration because the impact on wages is, is significant and the groups that are hurt most by it the are the the lower income people that are trying to earn minimum wage i'm talking about illegal immigration here by the way right no i know what you're talking and the group that was perhaps most in favor of illegal immigration for that same purpose because it drove wages down was the chamber of commerce and the owners of corporations they were delighted to pay less wages so it's interesting how that's flipped from uh, a democratic uh, platform to restrict uh, immigration and illegal immigration in particular. Uh, and it has now been uh, one that's been in, in embraced by, I won't even call it the Republicans. I think it's it's no longer the Republican Party. It's the Trump Party. Yeah. Well, they've got the, if they if they want to, you know, to, to manufacture cheaper, they've already got the op- option to do that in foreign countries where they can outsource everything to China or India or Pakistan or wherever. Um, so the need of these low income, um, wage earners is is almost unnecessary. So they want to keep, keep them out. So it's, it just depends on, on which lens you're looking through. If you're a Democrat and you're trying to get votes in a way that is, that benefits you, you could open up the borders and say, come on in. Uh, we're the people that let you in. We're going to give you everything you want. You, you, you just, you have to vote our way that that's policy. But, but then, the, then you've, I can understand and I can understand why they would do that. I'm not saying I approve of it, but I know, I know why it makes sense to me why they're doing that. And it also kind of, I'm also for being compassionate too. There are a lot of people that are trying to escape unspeakable horrors in their home country, and and so I, it, it's a it's a tough, it's it's a tough debate, and and of course that's why it's been going on for a long long time because it's 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 not black or white. I mean you can you can see it from a, a couple of different angles here. So I've I have a ton of compassion for the people that are escaping their their war torn uh, countries or you know horrible governments and things like that but but they might be out of the frying pan and into the fryer by by coming to the united states because we're we're experiencing some of the problems that they left their their country for maybe not the outright bombing necessarily but but um but i think that those people will find that uh, america might be better than where they are but we still have uh, quite a few problems that we're still working on trying to solve Controlled demolition of the American empire from the founding of the Federal Reserve to 9-11 to the coronavirus panic. Uh, very quickly, Charlie, how do we get a copy? Amazon. Amazon has the paperback and the Kindle. Uh, we've discounted it significantly early on. We want people to – we don't want the, the the money part to be a factor. We want people to read this book. It is – Last time I checked, it is number fifty-five in on Amazon out of a one point eight million books. So we are getting the word out there. It is um, we're just we're very pleased. We're humbled by it that the fact that people are embracing it. We f- we feel that it's it's an important conversation to have. And there's a lot of people that that know these topics already. So I encourage them. Listen, this is the book that you buy and send to the people in your life that don't know the things that you know that you're trying to get through to. This is going to 
explain it. We, t- we tackle a variety of topics here. So there's, there's bound to be a component of this book that will appeal to somebody in your life. All right, we'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, discuss further. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. So, Charlie, we have to talk about the coronavirus pandemic. How does that fit into the controlled demolition of the American empire? Wow. It's just, well, it takes a couple of agendas. You know, it, 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 it incorporates the big pharma into um, the government. It's a blending. We're, we're getting into the, you know, people are saying, well, fascism, fascism. I'd say, I would suggest that what we're experiencing is more like corporatism, where it's a blending of the uh, American government with the large corporations to benefit the corporations more so than the state. So we've got um, big pharma loves, um, you know, they love situations like this. They love to uh, keep everybody scared and fearful and dependent on them for information and for products that will save their life potentially or, or you know perceived that way at least so it's it's done a number of things so the corona situation came out and we in, immediately started to see uh, the demonization of china which was right on schedule uh we saw the um media kick into overdrive with trust the experts, trust the science, how dare you be anti-science. So the demonization of anybody that got off the reservation and started asking questions about this. Uh, We see that Wall Street, you know, the uh, Federal Reserve got involved and started monetizing debt at a record that is unprecedented. And we saw the the bailouts where they were giving trillions of dollars to large corporations and, and Wall Street. Here we go again with that. You know, so it's it's another one of these um, invisible enemies, right? Like terrorism, which is everywhere, but you can't see it. And it's killing everybody, but you don't know that those people. And there's going to be dead bodies around every corner, except there aren't. You know, so it's this it's this uh, it's the new fear. And I'm not trying to say it doesn't exist or anything like that. I'm just saying that the way that the American media portrays certain things, you would be led to believe that, well, over the last 20 years, you would be led to believe that there are terrorists waiting for you at the grocery store and that they're going to, that your life is in imminent danger. You constantly need to worry about them. You turn on the nightly news. It's disproportionately about terror, terror, terrorism. You find the the George H or the George W. Bush clips where they've strung together the compilation of him saying terrorist, 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 you know, it, it goes on and on and on. But then the statistics show that you're seven times more likely to die by having a vending machine fall on you than you are to die by a terrorist inside the United States. And so you go, wait a second, what's going on with this you know, this, the amount of coverage, the amount of money that we can, you know, uh, allocate towards this, this doesn't seem to, to, to be in, uh, it doesn't seem to, to be proportionate to the amount of fear that we're, we're seeing in, on the media it does not seem to be proportionate with the actual amount of fear. So then we get into the Corona situation and you start to see nonstop coverage and the death rates and deaths, death, deaths. And then that sort of stopped. And then it became, well, the death rate, you know, there weren't as many deaths as we thought there were going to be, luckily, thankfully, you know, I'm not 
I'm not saying I wanted to see that, but they told us we were going to see it and we didn't. And then, or, you know, halfway through the summer, cases were, were, were down. People were sort of going back to normal. And then the mask mandate came out and we were like, Hmm, that seems like a visual way to, to create a visual representation of something that is invisible. You don't, now, when I go to the grocery store, everybody has a mask on, so it's impossible for me to not think that there's something going on. Whereas middle of the summer, I would go in the grocery store and nobody had a mask on. So it's conditioning and we're watching this. So it's, it's happening. There's a variety of levels going on here. You've, you're watching the destruction of, of public health. Um, we're, we're watching the destruction of, of any sort of trust people had left in the mainstream media. We've watched the Federal Reserve and in conjunction with the government print up trillions of dollars and just give it away to everybody except the people that needed it most. So it it really is. And we're on a pathway towards we've instilled fear in everybody. Fear is their biggest ally. Those that are the controllers, they love fear. It works very well doesn't cost them a lot, you know, and they can use the mainstream media as the megaphone to just constantly keep everybody in a, in a state of fear. And then in conjunction with the mainstream media, which finances, um, uh, w- w- big pharma finances, the mainstream media, their ads, but you know, 60% of their revenue, at least in the United States where big pharma is allowed to advertise on TV, they get so much of their revenue from these pharmaceutical industries that 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 people maybe are sitting around saying, well, if listen, if this was if this wasn't such a big deal, clearly my nightly news would tell me that it wasn't such a big deal. And it's like, well, hang on a second. They're heavily incentivized financially to keep reporting on this. They they first of all, it's good for ratings. And second of all, all of their partners want this to happen. They want this to be a big, big event. So it's um, it's being used you know, it's the Rahm Emanuel, never let a good crisis go to waste sort of mentality where any sort of cockamamie idea that these globalist maniacs had that knew would never be approved or embraced by the public. Now, all of a sudden they think, well, how can we slap a Corona uh, slant to this and then, you know, put this out to the public and maybe we'll, we'll be able to get them to go along with our crazy ideas. Um, it's just, it's just given a license for every maniac in Washington, DC to try and, uh, use this as the justification to roll out some new program that they always wanted right. to roll the out. Great that they reset. never had the great yeah, reset, they never had the option, the great reset. Exactly. I believe that I, again, I think the virus is real. I think it's been greatly exaggerated that the risk and I think it is being used as cover at the same time. It can be real, but also be used as cover for many of these different agendas, uh, the Great Reset, whether that's an economic reset, social reset, cultural reset. So where are they heading with this? What is the end game with specifically with coronavirus? What do you see in quarantine camps? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, 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 all of it. Yeah. Speaking of the Great Reset, we have the World Economic Forum who is pushing the Great Reset. They have uh, laid out their their concept of the fourth industrial revolution. And part of that is has Corona COVID-19 in it as part of their their leap forward talking about uh, digital and biological enhancements to people. They're talking about, um, you know, 5G and artificial intelligence and cashless societies and quantum computing and 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 vaccine programs and all of these things it, it, tracking um, 
tracking through vaccine programs as well, contract tracing. It's a it's a globalist maniac's uh, dream. This and 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 yet, when you see the the marketing for the Great Reset, um, it sound it sounds kind of good on the surface because I think who amongst us would deny that we need a <laughs> we do need a reset. I mean, the current world that we're living in has some has some rather large problems that need fixing and 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 it all sounds good but but this is just a sales pitch of course it's sell the benefits 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 and they never tell you what the price is and the price is your freedom your medical freedom your sovereignty your soul even and uh there's a big price to pay but that that bill the bill for that comes at the end would you take a vaccine no what do you do no if way. it's what do you do if it's Mandatory. There are there there are talks about uh, vaccine passports. If you don't take yeah. the vaccine and you don't have it stamped in your passport, you don't get to get on a plane. You don't get to go uh, shopping at uh, uh, wherever Walmart. What do you do then? I don't know. I don't know. And I think about that a lot because that had always been a theoretical idea. You know, what if? But now we're starting to see it. We're starting to see the we're, we're seeing the predictive programming. We're seeing them run, you know, leak little ideas out there and, and get people primed for it. They're talking about the you know, we have the social credit system in China, which is set up in, in a similar way. Now, I look at that and, and I'm horrified by it. But the globalist technocrats look at China and they go, I like what you're doing there. Let's export that to, to us. And part of that is is using a person's actions against them you know as in china the social credit system it's like if you're you know if you're inner if your your score is low uh and and i call if my score is low in china and i call my friend and have a conversation on the phone their score goes down because they're associating with me so it's it's a it's a devious way of uh of using your friends and family and society to shame you and control your behavior by uh, making it difficult for you to join the the rest of the of society. I, by, I agree. I think China is the blueprint that the, the, they have in mind for the rest of us. In fact, our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, was once asked what he admired most about China. And he said, and I quote, their basic dictatorship. That's our fearless leader. Back with wow. uh, more of my conversation with Charlie Robinson. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Charlie, we were talking about coronavirus. Do you see us getting back to the old normal? I'm I'm so sick of hearing about the new normal. Welcome to the new normal. I don't want the new normal. I, I reject the new normal. I want the old normal. Do we ever get back there? Well, I hope so, but it's going to require us to... Uh, get very honest about our relationship with the mainstream media and with the pharmaceutical industry as well. Because what we have done is we have allowed, we, we have outsourced our thinking, our critical thinking to the media and with the understanding or the assumption that they're going to tell us the most important things. They're going to be honest with us. They're going to prioritize um, what's important and they're going to give it to us straight. Of course, we know that's not happening, but the vast majority of people still believe that that is that that, that is reality, that the mainstream media is their friend, that if, you know, Anderson Cooper is going to tell you about what's going on and if there's some, you know, some 
issue with this, like maybe the vaccine isn't totally safe. Well, clearly Anderson Cooper would have talked about that on, on the, on the news, right? I mean, if he didn't talk about it, then it must not be happening. That would be a major story, but well, that's the assumption that a lot of people make. And of course that's not true at all because the media and big pharma are connected. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to go back to the way it used to be. I feel that we could, but that would require everyone to acknowledge and wake up to the fact that we're being lied to on a massive scale by people that don't have a problem lying to us, that it does not bother them one bit. When you've got guys like Bill Gates, you know, Bill Gates has been in the news lately for all the wrong reasons, which I'm, I'm pleased about because I've been writing about this guy for a while. He's a dangerous individual, but the casual observer has just been, you know, this has been glossed over because, oh, he runs the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and they're charitable and they're giving millions, billions of dollars to, to, to help people in their, their vaccine programs. And they talk about how, how all of this is just working so well. Well, you need to dig into who, who that guy really is. And, and until the general public is willing to actually do some of the research or, or, or get involved and actually look at who these people that magically appear on the scene – as saviors, Fauci and Gates and Burks and these people, it, Ferguson in the UK, until we start doing some background checks on these people to see who they are, where they came from and what they want, we're going to be led down the wrong path. So it's, it's, it's as much as I have a problem with the current situation that's being thrust upon us by the government in conjunction with the media and big pharma, I have just as big of a problem with the American public being willfully ignorant of this too. I think that the, we take need to take responsibility for our own actions for getting the right information, understanding it, processing it, and then doing something about it. If 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 the information shows that this virus situation has been overplayed and it and it has, well then it's up to us to acknowledge that and make some noise about it and make sure that, it, that that never happens again and that the people that are responsible for this are held accountable. But in, in the US, most of us don't really have that sort of optimism that the people behind this will be held accountable. We've seen too many examples of people getting let off with with no sort of uh, – no re repercussions for them. No, there are never any repercussions. Uh, the, the people that – were behind the assassinations of JFK and MLK and RFK. They they walked. Who was ever orchestrating certain elements of 9-11 to either let it happen or uh, make it happen or simply be glad it happened? No repercussions. The, the 2008 economic collapse, no repercussions. Uh, uh, zero confidence that uh, there will uh, ever be any, any punishment meted out. You know, it's, it's interesting though that, you know, we talk about the nation state and we love to complain about the government and so forth. Uh, but it's at least with the nation state, I think it's best suited to sort of safeguard individual liberties, you know, rather than some distant bureaucrat in Brussels or Geneva. Uh, but our, our, our increasing distrust and anger with the government, with bureaucracies, government institutions, the media, doesn't that also, though, play into the deep state? Because they want us to hate the nation state. It's a good point. Yeah, they, they want us to to hate the nation state, break that up and, be, and, and join this much larger group. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I don't trust the current bureaucrats that are local or national 
um, to take care of us. I certainly wouldn't wouldn't trust anybody in Brussels, uh, you know, like in the EU situation. Look at that. Look at that. Look at what the EU has done. They've they've been run by Brussels, and the problems that happen in these countries they're not taken care of because Brussels is like, well, that's, you know, we're not there. And, you know, that's your problem and you figure it out and, and, and you expect compassion and, and, and enthusiasm and accountability from some, you know, external, uh, group like that. Good luck. You're never going to get it. The nation state, like you said, is the best way to safeguard our liberties, but we've got to fix that too. You know, we've got to take care of the, the current batch of, of rulers. That's where Jeff Berwick gets into the, you know, no, no rulers versus no rules situation. It's like the, the current batch of rulers that we have are defective. Uh, we're going to need somebody in there that prioritizes us. All right. We'll take one final time out and come back and uh, finish up with Charlie Robinson right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Charlie Robinson stays with us for a few moments yet here on The Conspiracy Show. We have to leave uh, our listeners with some, some good news and some hope, Charlie. So how do we, how do we push back? The first thing we need to do, I think, like like anybody in any sort of problem, is acknowledging that you have a problem. We need to get very honest about where we are and what our problems are. Once we do that, then we're in a position where we can start to make some changes. Now, this this controlled demolition of the American empire is going to be – it's going to have long-lasting effects. It's going to change the way – it's going to change society drastically. But but that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, because when we look at the current paradigm, I think we could all agree there are a lot of things that need to change. It's like, you know, it's like a gun, right? As they say, it's it depends whose hands it's in. It's not so much that the gun is necessarily the problem. It's whoever is controlling it. So so where we are now, it's what are we going to do? Is it? Is it that government is necessarily all evil? Well, it just depends on who's in charge of it. It depends on the policies that are being made. So we have this unique opportunity when the current paradigm has changed um, to decide and steer things in, in in a different direction, someplace, someplace where you know things are fair. For, for for other for for most people where we we can get away from uh, corrupt systems that have plagued us for the last hundred years we can get rid of fiat currency we can get rid of the the US dollar as the you know being produced by the Federal Reserve I mean the removal of of the Federal Reserve would be a huge step in the right direction um, but there's you know we, we we have to get we have to acknowledge this. We've got some problems. We've got problems with banking. We have problems with our media. We have problems with big business and their cozy relationship with Washington, D.C. We have issues with lobbyists and, and the amount of undue influence they have. We have problems with Citizens United, which gave unlimited corporation, you know, the corporation, the, the ability to finance political campaigns with unlimited amounts of funds. I mean, 
we have Glass-Steagall, uh, the removal of Glass-Steagall, which allowed the big banks to become massive and, and Bill Clinton deregulating the telecommunications, which which allowed uh, these mega mergers. And, and we've gone from 50 media companies down to five. We have the opportunity to fix some of these things and uh, change this world that we're in. We can roll back some of these globalist policies that have been instituted, but we've got to we've got to start to look at, at, at who is in charge, where they want us to go and decide, do we want to go there or not? If we don't want to go this direction, if we don't want to follow the World Economic Forum's path towards the Great Reset, and I certainly do not, um, well, then we need to propose something different. We need to build something different and we need to put people in positions of power that agree with us on that. What we have right now is our uh, governments making policies and following this new world order, the, the new world order that they talk about openly, that the, the, the queen talks about and the pope talks about and the, all the presidents have talked about. It. It, you know, this we need to um, set our course for something much different. We need to change. There's no doubt about that, but we have to be very aware of who is offering us this new change. Do we trust them? Where are they taking us? If it's Klaus Schwab and in the World Economic Forum, I'm not interested in that. I'm not. I, I understand that, that some of the things that they're talking about, you know, improvements in technology. We're going to need to embrace those. The, those are coming whether we like it or not. But it's this dystopian landscape that's on the horizon that we could very easily fall into when we look at the, the direction China's going. So we, we, we have a responsibility to ourselves to educate us on what is happening around the world, where things seem to be headed. Look, look at China, see where they're, where they're going. That's unfortunately where they want to, where the technocrats want to take us. And then we need to take some responsibility for ourselves we need to acknowledge that we have a problem with the people that we put in positions of power. We have a, a problem with the way that arrangement uh, between government and big business and um, and how dangerous that can be. And we can we but we can make different choices. We can change society. I mean, we, Jeff and I kind of describe this this controlled demolition as, you know, the the December 26, 2004. Banda Aceh, uh, Indonesia, standing on, you wake up, you go down to the beach, all of the water is receded. Where is everything? Oh my God, this is crazy. The water's gone. I can walk out on this beach. I can walk into where the ocean used to be. I can walk a, a quarter of a mile out there and still and find interesting starfish and clam, you know, and all these things. Isn't this interesting? Wow. Let's take some selfies. But the people that had that had experienced the people that had been there that had seen these signs before they knew what that meant they knew that that meant that the water has receded but it's coming back in a tidal wave and i need to get to higher ground so here we are the tail end of 2020 with everything that we've been through and boy if, if this isn't an you know if this hasn't been the best advertisement for getting yourself ready for the future i don't know what will but we see the water receding and we have decisions to make Get to high, we're telling people get to higher ground. We're not going to be able to stop a lot of this. You're going to be, it's going to be up to you to wake up your friends and family, save them, save yourself, but position yourself in a way so that you're ready when this new, when these new changes come. Uh, that when the, when the current paradigm is, is destroyed and the new one emerges, you're in a position where you can either 
you can thrive in it. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. This is going to, this is a, a, a tough conversation to have with the world. I take no pleasure in this. I'm a, an American. I love America. I want it to be the best it can possibly be. But these people, these maniacs have rigged this country with detonators to take it down. And we need to acknowledge that we have been co-conspirators in this too. We've allowed this to happen by our ignorance and our, 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 you know, belief that, 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 that nothing bad can happen because we're American. We always win. Well, you know, we're going to need to wake up to some of the, the new realities and it's, it's tough for people to, to go, you know, to think like that, but but we'll, let's take this opportunity to, when when things change, to make sure that we build a, a different society that prioritizes us and prioritizes the things that we need. That that human freedoms are super important to us. How do we do They're that? Being I mean, taken it, away is it, it doesn't seem likely that that can be achieved through the ballot box. No, uh, and and if if left unchecked and the demolition happens, they will own the monopoly board. They already do. How do we survive? that i mean if if that's what's coming our way how do we stop them well we've got to we've got to we've got to get on board with uh, some alternative ways of thinking maybe that's uh, that jeff is a crypto guy so he looks at cryptocurrencies and gold and silver and things like that um i i i'm not i'm not positive exactly how everything gets fixed you know i i think that we're still these are these are systemic problems that are going to take a long time to unwind um but our acknowledgement that the, that 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 it's out there and it's happening that some of the worst people in society are driving our policies this is the first step towards towards fixing things is to acknowledge that we have a problem get out there and start looking for um you know, get back to basics for one. We've, we've, we've expanded our supply chain so much that we're dependent on other countries and other, you know, for, for our medicines and things like that. These things need to change. We can do a lot of this stuff in house. We've, we've fallen into this trap of globalization, uh, under the, you know, with the promise of, of cheap, cheap goods and services from, from foreign countries. But, um, We've got to make a priority to bring those things back, bring the in- industrial capacity back to the United States, get a get a handle on our on our currency situation, which has long been a problem. We need to seriously think about our role in the world stage with a thousand military bases around the globe, and who is that benefiting, and who is that dis- you know who is that harming? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot. Of, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, but I think most people would agree that uh, now's the time to make some changes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe another good place to start would be to buy a copy of Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. Uh, before you can solve a problem, you have to understand the problem, and it's uh, detailed there quite nicely. Charlie, thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. Okay, back next week with Rex Bear of The Leaked Project. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the rooftops, move over Aphrodite, I'm coming home or at least up the stairs. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. 
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.